stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. This study has been eye-opening for us in taking a look at what's happening in our communities and the complete disorder, particularly in the surrounding areas around these supervised consumption sites. It's unacceptable. Well, there you go. Unacceptable. That's uh, Justice Minister Doug Schweitzer talking about this report today, a report that was commissioned specifically to look at social impacts of supervised consumption sites in Alberta. And uh, finds that there certainly are some issues, increased needle debris, growing risk to public safety in some surrounding neighborhoods. Even suggesting with regard to the site in Lethbridge, uh, the nonprofit agencies that oversees the the, uh, supervised consumption site there, that there have been financial irregularities. So that's something specifically that is, is going to be followed up on. But... Where we go next is is unclear. The government certainly seems to be setting the stage for a real change in direction. But if we're going to do so, are we also incorporating the benefits of a harm reduction approach? This was not a report. In fact, they very specifically said today that whatever benefits come with a harm reduction approach, that was outside the scope of this report. In other words, it's not about looking at the pros and cons of harm reduction. It's more specifically, let's look at the cons and how significant they are. So are we getting a, a balanced picture of what's going on here? And where, where does this all go from here? Joining us uh, for some thoughts, very pleased to welcome to the program, Rebecca Haynes-Sant, Assistant Professor of Community Health Sciences, also with the O'Brien Institute for Public Health at the Cummings School of Medicine, University of Calgary. Rebecca, thanks for joining us here today. Welcome to the program. Thank you for having me on. Um, your your overall thoughts here, first of all, just in terms of what, what you suspect the government is up to and, and how much stock we should put in this report. I think we knew from the outset what they were up to when we saw the announcement of this panel and report and the whole process for the study and and the members of the panel. Uh, and as you mentioned, it's not looking at the pros and cons. It's really looking at the cons. And I just want to remind folks that, you know, the socioeconomic impacts of harm reduction, that's really outside of the scope of the things that we measure in terms of how it improves uh, public health and people's well-being. So it's almost as if they've imposed a new metric uh, and then set people up to fail on that metric. I mean, at the same time, I suppose we, we can't ignore the impact on communities. And I think we do need to have a conversation about what's happening in these communities, how much of it is attributable to, to the presence of a, a supervised consumption site, what else is going on related to, uh, you know, this, this um, addiction situation. So how do we go about answering that question? Yeah, I think that is also really important because uh, time and again, we've heard that people want to be heard. However, when I look at the report and I look at the summary, uh, it's almost as if they've pulled out the worst possible anecdotes uh, to support their idea that these sites are causing harm to people without actual evidence of those harms. So, I mean, it's easy to say, I'm afraid walking down the street because I see needles, but but do we have a measure that, you know, there's more needles than there was before and that people have, have 
been harmed by that. When you look at those summaries in the report, those anecdotes are really profiled and bold. But then when you look at the data in the back end of the report, you see 57% of people in Calgary and 80% of people in Edmonton say, yes, we do actually support SCS in our community. And that wasn't highlighted. So I I fully embrace communities being heard and having more public dialogue. uh, But I don't think that that was what was presented today. What do you say to those individuals? So, or certainly, I think there are people who are not opposed to this approach, uh, but but do maybe live or work near these these facilities and have some concern about the impact. Uh, I, I do think people are are looking for some some reassurance about these issues or that they're going to be addressed. So how do you think we should handle that? Well, I think after today, um, you know, part of it was to send a message that uh, perhaps the sites are mismanaged, perhaps the sites are misrepresenting what they're doing, uh, and that people have a right to be fearful and skeptical. Skeptical, and one of the um, one of the things that people frequently say is, you know, um, you know, why why is my money being spent on this intervention for substance users when we should be spending money on recovery? So what was presented today fits really ni- nicely into that narrative. Um, you know, I think this is an ugly and scary and hard issue for many of us. Uh, homelessness, poverty, mental illness, and addiction. These are difficult conversations with complex policy solutions. SES is part of that picture. Um, and it's one part of the intervention, and we should absolutely be having conversations about bigger uh, policy solutions to this problem. Right. And I, I think at the same time, too, we can't ignore what was happening before these sites opened, because it's not as though these sites have created uh, opioid use. Uh, obviously, these, these sites did not cause the addiction crisis. And so we had increasing use. We had uh, o- um, overdose deaths were on the rise, in fact, before these sites opened. So it, it didn't create these problems, I, I think is important to remember. No, it didn't create these problems. And in fact, when we had the Valuing Mental Health Report a few years ago, it showed of all provinces, Alberta has invested the least in mental health and addictions. So we do have that issue, and it, it is being addressed by investing uh, in a range of treatment services. However, Beyond an addiction crisis, we have a drug poisoning crisis, and that's the real new thing that emerged and and why SCS and public distribution of naloxone and scaling up opioid agonist treatments were rapidly rolled out um, in the past four or five years Uh, because after Vancouver, you know, Calgary has the highest rate of of fentanyl poisoning deaths by overdose. So we really need to respond immediately on the ground. However, you know, now now there's a narrative, well, it's not an opioid issue, it's a meth issue. But but folks who use drugs and street-involved folks are are typically poly substance users, right? So this is not new information, but now we're seeing this idea that maybe these sites aren't valuable because the real problem is mess, and I I think that's also short-sighted. But further to that, I I mean, obviously these sites were were in response to this opioid crisis and and being able to reverse uh, an opioid overdose. Um, So the the point that was raised today at this uh, event was that you know, the, the increased use of meth has, has kind of thrown that in, into flux, though. But, I mean, are, are these sites still well-equipped to, to deal with, with meth use, too? How, how are they balancing that? Well, I think so. I think you have to also have to remember that, um, you know, the latest report on, the, on overdose deaths shows that um, fentanyl is implicated uh, in a... In a like 40% of deaths involve fentanyl and methamphetamine. So people are co-using these substances. So I think the idea that it's only to reverse opioid overdoses and that that fentanyl is never implicated in, in meth use and meth overdoses, you know, we also have to recognize people are using both substances. But 
often unknowingly because the supply is just very unregulated and unstable. And this this is what happens in drug markets. There's still a place for SES to uh, have people come use the substance and have a compassionate uh, a place where they can get care that they need and they won't be turned away. It's interesting because you mentioned Edmonton and the, the levels of public support for uh, supervised consumption sites are much higher. Some of the associated issues seem to be much less of an issue in Edmonton, and they've taken a different approach in having multiple sites. And, and that's the point that's been raised in all of this, that uh, do, do we have issues by having one site where, where this is all concentrated? Might it make sense to have this a little more spread out as Edmonton does? Where, where do you come down on that? Yeah, I mean, the point was always to have a mobile site in Calgary, and, and the plans for that were in the works, and the community consultations were underway. And then there was incredible resistance to where this mobile site uh, might be parked and an idea that, well, maybe we'll push it out into an industrial area. You know, there's resistance from from agencies. There's uh, some some resistance in finding the right spot uh, with the city, city bylaws. So very complex. We need more sites to kind of... Uh, disperse this, but also the pushback in Edmonton sometimes has been, well, we, we have three sites and they're all downtown, but keeping in mind that one is a hospital-based site uh, for inpatients because we know that people continue to use substances and are at risk of leaving care when they're in hospital, right? Uh, but absolutely, I, I would be in support of, of a site that uh, is outside of the Schumer to support people. I mean, at the same time, uh, the Sheldon Schumer Center has uh, a number of, of addiction-related services. I mean, there, there was some logic to having this site there because people can access some of these other services at, at the Schumer Center. Yeah, very much so. So there's that suite of other services where people can uh, become attached to other other types of services and other types of treatment and, and physician expertise and, and that, you know, that warm handoff from SES uh, that can happen. Uh, I think uh, if, at the same time, like a mobile site is very low barrier if we use that term in harm reduction. So it can meet, meet those people that wouldn't set foot in a building uh, and can go to where the need is. Uh, so both types of services are really needed in terms of the big picture question about whether this approach works and and what the implications are i mean you know certainly the fact that that we've reversed many many overdoses that that's that's one to consider the fact that overall we saw that that trend where opioid deaths were on the rise that that started to change last year so it's making a, a difference in that sense if we're going to really take a meaningful look at the both the pros and cons of this approach what what do we need to be looking at that this report doesn't yeah well we have we have an incomplete picture of the public health evidence uh, of the science from harm reduction and we have an incomplete panel with no one um, you know in my community of experts who is a, a frontline physician or an academic researcher or someone working in harm reduction represented so we really don't have that expert input uh, from the folks who sort of live and breathe this research and practice every day I think the broader question question that we need to ask in terms of pros and cons is, you know, do we want to support only interventions that focus on abstinence? Uh, 
you know, there's this sense that, oh, the, the previous government invested too much in harm reduction. Now we're just fleshing out the continuum of care. But at the same time, there's a lot of inflammatory language about people who are addicts, about people who, you know, we're enabling them. We're, keep, we're providing palliative care when we uh, provide harm reduction. And so I think there's a bigger uh, question about what type of service do we value? Do we value all points of the continuum or are we just moving to support people who can be abstinent and people who are going to go into recovery? Right, and, and certainly being able to you know, prevent overdose deaths is, is crucial in, in ensuring that someone can get on, on the track to, to recovery. Uh, and and you know, beating this kind of addiction is very difficult. But as you said earlier, we, we, we don't have enough in terms of those supports, do we? Yeah, I think also we need to look further upstream. So I work in public health, right? So we're always focused on those inequities. So when we are in a situation where there's, um, you know, growing social inequity, where there's cutbacks uh, in many ways, we see this downstream. And so if we're not going to be responding to homelessness and poverty and trauma, we're always going to have this kind of revolving door of folks who are marginalized and disenfranchised and need different types of supports. So I would say in addition to continuing to fund harm reduction, we also need to fund those low-barrier, trauma-informed, community-based solutions uh, so that people um, so people have the supports they need outside of, of addiction treatment, because that's just part of the piece of what people need to, to live more stable lives. All right, well, I guess we'll see where this all goes from here. I think still some questions about what the government's going to change about all of this, and I guess we'll learn in due course, but we'll leave it there for now. Uh, Rebecca, thanks so much for joining us here today. Appreciate it. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.